0: Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Holy heartbeat.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brett Allen. Well, isn't that
0: extra special?
1: Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Episode 100. Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. Over 100 celebrity interviews this year. And we are back with one more episode for 2020. That's right. One more episode. Ugh, I'm exhausted, but I wanted to get this episode out just because I'm OCD. And uh, yeah, you know, I like to end things on even numbers. Today we have comedian, writer, actor Steve Hofstetter, the comedian's comedian. That's right. The one and only Steve Hofstetter is on the podcast. We're going to talk to him about the Nowhere Comedy Club we had been Glebe on yesterday. These two guys basically created something that is new and different and that had never been done before virtual comedy shows. And uh, yeah, Steve Hofstetter is the best. I'm excited for you to check this out again. Happy new year, everybody. Thanks for, for listening and supporting and subscribing, rating, reviewing all of that. And uh, we'll get right to it. We'll see you next year. Steve Hofstetter, welcome into the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk to you for multiple reasons. I've, I've, been just a fan forever since I've been able to know anything about comedy. So I'm excited because I have a million questions. But the first thing I kind of want to start out with is that you are the co-founder of the Nowhere Comedy Club. And I have been circling around guests that you've had. I've got even somebody else today coming on that's involved in it. Let's start there because this is something different and new that you have come up with. For people who aren't familiar, let's talk about what the Nowhere Comedy Club is and sort of how this all started out for you.
0: Nowhere Comedy is the premier virtual comedy venue. Um, We have, you know, I think we've already had over 300 shows this year. Um, We've sold uh, over 40,000 tickets um, across the different shows. And we have, you know, everyone from Mike Berbiglia doing his Working It Out shows, which I think he's done about a dozen times. We've had um, John Cleese, uh, the Sklar Brothers do a regular podcast, and they've had guests like Jim Gaffigan and John Hamm and really amazing people. Ida Rodriguez and Zane Hussein, and I, I mean, the, the list goes on. We're very, very proud of the shows we've been able to put together, and it was something that Ben Glebe and I came up with. Um, we've both had a ton of experience in the virtual show end of things. I had been producing VR shows for years and Ben had been live streaming uh, some of his comedy club shows over Facebook. When the pandemic hit and we lost our entire touring calendars, originally this was supposed to be a stopgap solution. This was supposed to be something that we would do meanwhile. And it just became something so much bigger than that.
1: Yeah. Well, Ben's actually coming on later today. I'm talking to him later this afternoon. So excellent. Yeah, I've been working on getting him on for a while. And so when they're like, oh, he's available either today or New Year's Eve, I was like, let's get him on and and get him going. Because I think this is one of the coolest things that could ever possibly exist. And I'm not saying that just to say it, because I've watched several shows that you guys have done. I think that what once was perhaps it seems just a creative solution is now becoming the future and will not replace live shows, but will just be one more outlet, right? As far as how people can consume content and comedy. Is that kind of the the hope and, and the vision of what you're doing?
0: It's not just the hope and the vision. It's the reality. Also, I yeah. like that you're also talking to Ben. You can, you know, you can end up fact checking anything I say, which is good, but the, <laughs>
1: I trust you, man. You've been around for a minute, so I, I think we're good.
0: I appreciate that. The what we've seen is there have been there have been people who have watched shows from their hospital bed. There have been pe- there was someone who was agoraphobic, had been out of the house in sixteen years. Um, there was some kid in I believe it was Croatia, some sixteen-year-old kid watching on an iPad under the covers so his parents wouldn't catch him. There are tons of reasons for people to watch these shows that aren't just oh we're in a pandemic. They are. More affordable than a night out at a comedy club. Um, you pay for a ticket. You don't have to pay for parking, babysitter, food, drinks. You're just in your house. You can watch in a more comfortable environment. You don't have to sit on some you know, 15-year-old banquet chair that cost them, you know, that cost them $19 15 years ago, you, you can just have a better experience with comedy, but also it's more intimate. And I think that's the biggest thing for people. Like there's a weekly show that I do with Daniel Muggleton, who is an Australian comic and the videos that we've done together when we can tour together have gotten millions of views, but the vast majority of our fans can't ever see us live together because he lives in Australia and it's rare that we can tour together. So we put together this weekly show, and it is a very audience-based, interactive show. And the regulars, they all know each other. Like, last night, we had a surge in new people on the show because I had something go a little viral. And so it was funny to see uh, the regulars almost, like, mentoring the new people, being like, this is how to be an audience member. <laughs> and this is how, you know. <laughs> and there's, you know, there are people who started dating because they met each other as really? part of this. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. absolutely absolutely like there are yeah because the fans who are regulars they get to know each other and they form these side communities and it's just a completely different experience when you go to a comedy show in person you go for the most part either with a friend or alone you don't meet anyone new you might talk to someone in line for the bathroom briefly you know you're not you're not there making friends and this is completely different where people are part of the chat people get to know each other and it's it's much more of a community it's a completely different experience
1: I like that. I like, well, I'm a single dad. Maybe that's something to think about. Absolutely. I find find that very cool. And I'm in the Bay Area, so I have a cornucopia of comedy clubs to choose from. Well, I don't right now because everything is shut down. And I think what you said is interesting because the last show I went and saw was up in San Jose at the Improv, Taylor Tomlinson. And that was right before the pandemic hit. And um, it was kind of just a murmuring of something going on. And funny, uh, one of the openers, I think she was the middle, Irene something. Was, Irene too. Oh, God. She's like, I'm not feeling well today and I think I might have COVID. And she kind of joked about it a little bit. And then, of course, like a few weeks later, like everything is in complete lockdown. So and I, it's funny, I'm telling you this story because I sat at a table with somebody and uh, I'm one of those people who, We'll go on a date once in a while or to a show, but I like to go by myself because it's just fun to do. And uh, sometimes you get sit at these tables, you know, sat and people are like super chatty or they're like, I don't want to be bothered. You know, I'm here on a bachelorette party or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, this person I sat with down front, He was cool. You know, we had a fun conversation, Uh, but I get it. But I I like the vibe of the comedy club. I think it's great, you know, as far as getting that experience. And it's funny you mentioned about the banquet chairs, all comedy club chairs. I feel like unless you're at a booth are just horribly uncomfortable. So yeah. Uh, It's fun. It's exciting. One of the things that I like about you, and and there's a lot, but you're a comics comic, if that makes any sense. You're always very pro-comedian. It's very true. You're always supportive. You've been in the game forever. Uh, You've done the circuit. You've done the late night thing, and you are very supportive of fellow comedians, especially ones that are still kind of in that early first 10 years kind of learning and growing, right? And something that you've done during this pandemic, and I think you were doing it before, created this financial network. I guess, would that be the best way to describe it of, supporting other comedians and that sort of thing. Can you talk about that? Please correct me if I'm wrong in the understanding of it. But I think this is just one of the coolest things that anybody could possibly do.
0: Well, I I appreciate that. And, you know, and just to clarify a couple things. So first of all, Taylor is a great example of someone who, you know, I was very, very happy to be supportive of early, you know, when she was 19 years old. I, I very proudly am the first person to put her on television, right. Um, I convinced her to do last comic standing. I introduced her to her agent. Um, Taylor is family to me. and she is so wildly talented. And that brings me to, you know the distinction of I'm very supportive of people who take comedy seriously. Yes. I'm very, very not supportive of people who are dabbling because-
1: How can it, you dabble? But yeah, I get it.
0: Well, there are people, you know, my my career is not your hobby. And when, you know, the, the idea of, look, I love baseball. I like playing baseball. It's a lot of fun. I never expect to be able to play at City Field. I expect to, you know, play on a, in a random park. And you know what, if someone comes and and they have some semi-pro team that has a permit for that park, I also leave. And I don't insist, "No, could could I take a few swings?" like no. And there's a lot in comedy where people don't have an accurate idea of of why they're in this. And yeah. so, for me, one of my favorite things to do is to find someone who truly deserves a leg up and help them with that and so that's what the martin grant does so the martin grant i started six years ago um, when my father passed it's named for him his name was martin and when my father passed i wanted to create something he loved stand-up and i wanted to create something that would memorialize him and so i created the idea of this grant and the original idea of it was to find up-and-coming comics give them enough money to quit their day job so they can concentrate on their art full-time and what it morphed into this year because we realized that like giving one comic 10 grand this year, yeah, that'll change that person's life to a degree, but it's not even like, oh yeah, now I can finally hit the road, how? So <laughs> right. what we did instead is we changed it into these $1,000 grants. And so we gave out $31,000 grants. The, we named that program the, uh, the Friendly Shoulder. The idea being like, lean on us for a little bit till you can get back on your feet. And from that, things continued to grow and the live stream that I do with Ben and Chris Bowers and Rachel Gallagher has led to you know we've been able to create fifty thousand dollars worth of work for comedians during this pandemic, in addition to the nowhere stuff that we're doing, and a lot of it has been it's been tip driven, it's been donation driven, and so kind of seeing that model and wanting to do more, um, I bought a church. <laughs> And it's a little ridiculous, but Not, I'm moving. It's to,
1: crazy. Who does that? You do. I, Steve or does.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm moving to Pittsburgh. I I bought this church. It's this 15,000 square foot. It's gorgeous. There is a detached home that is going to be used to house comedians. And we're going to have edit bays and a green screen and a podcast studio and all kinds of just all the cool shit comics need to work on their craft because, One of the things we've really seen during the pandemic is that, look, the first week we were doing these live shows, I went out and I bought a USB mic and I bought a green screen and I bought some external lights and all this stuff that I never needed before, but I realized I needed now. And here we are nine months in and a lot of comics still don't have that stuff. And a lot of it is because they simply don't have the resources to get it or they don't have the knowledge to get it. And so we wanted to provide that for other comedians. And that's what it's called Steel City AF. Steel City Arts Foundation, but also, you know, as fuck. And the idea is others. to build that for comedians so that all they need to do is show up.
1: I think that is very cool. In fact, it's funny because I was talking to another comic yesterday, Ian Bag, and mm-hmm. we were talking about kind of the same similar things, not name dropping, but he was even asking me, he's like, you know, where did you get that microphone? I kind of want to, you know, up my game as far as my interviews and things like that. And able to do some more of these zoom type performances and things like that so i think that's great this brings me to another question the idea dave Chappelle kind of did something similar he's actually apparently building a club in houston or one of these cities in texas to kind of have comics come out and do this sort of thing to perform where it's a little bit easier when you're looking for comedians to mentor i guess that's the best way i look at it and sort Mm -hmm. of help out You're looking for people who take it seriously, right? That's obviously a big thing for you. But someone who's a veteran like yourself and been doing this, what what are a couple things that you look for when somebody comes to you and says, can you help me out or can you sort of give me advice to kind of get in? to what you're doing and creating by buying a church and a, a rectory I guess on the side which is what that would be yeah what, what are you looking for steve what are kind of some things that you are looking at
0: well i'm looking for i'm looking for someone who i can make the most difference you know so it is it is partially talent based partially work ethic based partially you know attitude based um if they have a lot of demons that's a no Um, you know, if there, if there's someone that's, that is doing comedy for what I think are the wrong reasons, that's a no, you know, the right reasons to do comedy is because you love this and because you fully believe in it. If you're doing comedy because, you know, you're trying to get free drugs and have sex, like, yeah, that stuff's there, but that should not be your motivating factor. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, if you're, if you're, if you see the audience as therapy, that's not healthy. You need to see your therapist as therapy.
1: right? And
0: so I need people to be even keeled, to have a good head on their shoulders. Um, there have been three people ever that I've seen and told them that you're going to be famous. And I, I'm right on all three. One was Whitney Cummings on her second ever stand-up show. One was Taylor. And one was Danny Jalis, who's now booking TV and movies left and right. And so I am very, very proud of my eye that is, I, I will, I think, I think I have a good act. I would put my eye up against anyone in this business. Oh, 100% and, dude. Thank you. And I've been wrong, I've been wrong. There has been, there have been a thousand comedians that I've said no to that have given me one of these, I'll show you, and only one <laughs> of them did. One of them did, um, Rory Scoville. Rory oh. Scoville, that is my huge regret. I've told him that many times. <laughs> I think he's brilliantly funny. And he sent me a clip. He was trying to get a headlining gig and he was mainly featuring at the time. And he sent me a clip that was like good and I would have had him as a feature, but I didn't think he was ready a headline yet. And like six months later, he started blowing up and I was like, ah, I missed a bone on that one. That one was my fault. And, but aside from that, every one of these, there have been plenty of people who have been like, who I've said no to and then they've come back to me a couple years later and then I've been like, now it's a yes. But there's been no one that has done the, you don't know my brilliance, I'll show you. And actually Rory didn't even respond. Like Rory didn't, you know, I was just wrong. He took it very well. But um, for all the people who have sworn to show me, you know, most of them aren't even in the business anymore.
1: Yeah, I think what you do, this is why I interview so many comedians because I am just – so genuinely fascinated with your world and i feel like somebody said to me one time you have a lot of comedians on your show do you ever run out of things to talk about and the answer is always no because i feel like just like in your act you have a point of view but as an individual you have a point of view as well right so i think it's so different from everybody else you all are doing so much and so many different things and i think you know the approach that you take is fascinating which brings me to my next question, sort of the nuts and bolts of this. It seems like in the late 90s, Comedy Central was kind of a hot spot. Everybody wanted to get, you know, 30 minutes on that and kind of get on to television. And, you know, you're working your way through the clubs and then it's, you know, TV and then movies. And I feel like with where we're at today, a lot of that has changed the way. People get discovered the way people get their start. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So, Kind of from your perspective, having been doing this and then there was last comic standing, right. For a while, you know, a lot of people kind of got their start there, whether they won or they kind of were just there, introduced them to America and they've all had successful careers. Looking back on all of it from then to now, has it changed for the better as far as how comics kind of get started and become known
0: I've never heard of anyone having overnight success even when people are like oh well that was quick they they were still at it for 4 years sure most of the time you know it's at least 7 to 10 um no one discovered me the youtube algorithm did a robot discovered me i think it's so much better now than it was cuz it used to be that you needed a decision maker which most of the time was a white guy in his 60s wearing a business suit that didn't understand comedy at all. Right. And it was up to them whether or not someone made it or, or didn't make it. And now there are no gatekeepers anymore. There are plenty of people that can, you know, help you climb the fence, but it's just a fence and you could just climb it. There's, there's no gate anymore. There's no opening. It is just a hodgepodge of a million different ways and it's eyeballs. It's always been eyeballs, but it used to be the eyeballs were on three networks. And now the eyeballs are everywhere, and they're divided up, and you can do things like Josh Wolf, who was on Chelsea lately over 100 times. And none of that matters compared to the million and a half subscribers he has on YouTube. Um, Drew Lynch, who used America's Got Talent to launch his online career and his ticket sales are driven by Facebook and YouTube. You've got people like Andrew Schultz or Sarah Cooper, people who the industry ignored until they couldn't help it anymore. And that's fantastic. And so, and not only that, but you have the emboldening of someone like Chappelle, who in fairness is famous because of the industry, but he now does not care and he's using that fame and the ability to if it weren't for social media he could never have stood up and said what he said about how much he's been screwed with royalties.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that 100%.
0: And it used to be that no matter how famous you were, if you weren't getting work from the industry, you still had to kiss their ass. And that's just not true anymore. When you can go to direct when you can go direct to consumer, it doesn't Matter anymore, and that is stand up comedy has become truly democratic.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because the fact that he stood up like he did, not a lot of people would have the guts to do that, right? Like, I don't know many people who would do that or have the ability to get a network like Netflix and HBO Max or whatever to literally pull down something. I mean, it's crazy how it all has come about.
0: Well, it's It's
1: insane.
0: It's also, he doesn't have to worry anymore. No, there was some of the best advice I ever got. Um, I was, I got booked to do a show and the the booker double booked, which can happen. But instead of telling me that he double booked, he let me sit there for 45 minutes, continue to pay for parking and wait until finally I was like, hey, man, what's the lineup? And he was like, oh, sorry. You know, I I, I booked too many people today. And, and I was like, just tell me that, man. I'll go home. Ooh. It's fine. Like, just let me go home. And so I was really pissed about it. And the next day I was doing the um laugh factory every year has that, you know, that Thanksgiving day Yeah, yeah. soup kitchen. And so I was there doing that. And I was talking to Matt Eisman and I was just telling him about it. He's like, yeah, you look like you're in a pissy mood. I'm like, I am. And I told him what happened. And I told him that the booker had asked me to do the following week. And I said, I want to tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> and Matt says, until you are big enough to tell everyone to go fuck themselves, You're not big enough to tell anyone to go fuck themselves. And it's such a wonderful piece of advice. And Chappelle is big enough to tell everyone to go fuck themselves. And you have to make that decision. I'm at the point now where if I wanted to never work at the industry again, I'd be okay. Really? Yeah, because I can just sell tickets to bars. I don't care. Yeah. Now I would like to be able to do bigger stuff. I enjoy the stuff I've been able to do, but I'll be okay. And so I've started to be able to pick and choose when I burn bridges. And, you know, if, if there's an island I don't want to go to anymore, fine. You know, I don't I don't mind being honest with those people. But I can't do that with HBO. I can't do that with Netflix. I can't do that with anything like that, like Chappelle can. And so I think that's one of the big differences.
1: Yeah. And I mean, what you've done is is so I mean, it's 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 stood the test of time. You know what I'm saying? Going all the way back from when you started. I mean, just looking at everything that you've done, catching that wave when you did. And, and having the sustainability, which, which brings me to a question about that. You know, there's, I feel like with comedy in general, there's different pockets of that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's people like Chappelle who are successful, people like you, Steve, who are very successful. And then it just, the list goes on and on. Like at what point did you come to that decision to say, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm okay with. And, and at what point did you come up to that point? And then kind of what was leading up to it as far as like mentally deciding this is where my place is in this gigantic world of comedy?
0: I think really it's the pandemic that's shown me because, okay. you know, I was always a little annoyed that I I felt like I was on an island. You know, I built my own little island, but, you know, I wasn't part of the mainstream. I wasn't I wasn't on land with everybody else. I was just I had my own little island and my own little island. You know, I was playing uh, 50 to 100 people and then 100 to 200 people and then eventually 200 to 400 people. I was putting together these independent shows, sometimes at clubs, sometimes at theaters, sometimes at teeny little bars, you know, sometimes at places that when we get there, we were like, oh, no. Um, But the idea was it was all pretty much independently produced. I've never had a PA, never had a personal appearance agent. I have had a couple of managers. I'm happy with my manager now. He's not at any of the big firms. He runs his own little shop. And I always felt like I was out there alone. And then the pandemic showed me how thankful I am for that. Because being out there on this island, my island was not affected by COVID in the way that other people's were. I lost my, lo- my in-person touring schedule, absolutely. But I'm still able to do these digital shows. I'm still able to have a live stream. I'm still growing my social media. And it's because I have this island. And I used to think that the worst thing was being ignored by the industry. And now I realize that it's pretty helpful because it forces you to be resourceful. It forces you to make your own way. And if there ever does come a time where a network offers me a show, you know, I mean, I've had little things here and there, but I will be in such a better position to negotiate because I won't need to say yes. And the only time you can ever say no in a negotiation is when you have the ability to walk away.
1: Yeah. I mean, that sums it up perfectly, I think. But I would say, I mean, you know, your name stands strong in all mm-hmm. this world of, of comedy. I mean, you've also had such a huge impact on other people as Thank well. You. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, it. the proof is in the pudding, as they say. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and I feel that, you know, it's just, it's great in this Nowhere Comedy Club is cool i think you are trendsetters as far as doing this and i love it again you know i've had so many people on the show who have done sets through it and now i get to talk to you and 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 ben who have co-created this thing and i love that you are doing this situation where you're buying a church and uh you know you're gonna have a place where comics can come live and hang out and perform and just do all the things, filling a niche, right? That has been non-existent for a very long time and and giving other people the chance. As we wrap up here, I know you have a very busy day. One last thing, you know, looking back at your career, would Mm -hmm. there be anything that you would do different as far as kind of what you've done so far to get you where you are, or maybe a piece of advice that you wish somebody would have given you that you would have listened to, Or would you have just kept everything the same?
0: Oh, I would have done a ton of stuff differently. I mean, part of that is I, you know, I've been a big fan of the idea of investing in yourself early, knowing what I know now about, okay, I should have gotten a better camera earlier. I should have, you know, gotten better sound stuff earlier. I should have been concentrating on, you know, multiple social medias earlier instead of just looking at YouTube for so long as my main sure. thing. I should have been, you know, I, there, there were other things I could have done earlier for sure. But I think the main thing I would have done differently is the, the biggest if I knew then what I know now is understanding ego and understanding that not everybody's gonna agree with you no matter how right you think you are, that the people who are in the decision maker capacity want to feel like their decision is important You know, they have, they're climbing up the ladder the same way you are. And to understand what goes into all of that, instead of just, you know, when I was younger, there was a lot of, how does this affect me? Without realizing that when you're trying to get booked by a club, there's 52 weeks a year. It doesn't matter how much they like you. Who are they going to fire? Who are they going to replace to hire you? They've already, unless they're a brand new club, they've already got a roster. So who is it? Five comics a year, either... Move on or die off. That's it. Wow. So if you if you take that stuff personally, you'll drive yourself crazy. And so now that I know how much, how happy I am to have this island, and when I say, you know, an island, I'm happy to have other comics aboard with me. But I wish I would have started concentrating on building the island sooner and stopped worrying about what's going on on the mainland.
1: Wow, that is great advice. And I think... A perfect tag for our episode today, and of course, nowhere comedy club. You know your specials, everything that you do on YouTube. If people want to connect with you, Steve, about your comedy and just kind of everything that you're doing, how can they do so?
0: Uh, at Steve Hofsetter on pretty much any social media. I'm a big fan on of uh, of letting people decide where they want to follow so whatever uh, whatever social media appeals to you i'm i'm on it and and brett thank you for the effusive praise i i don't know if i've earned all of it but i i very much appreciate that you've given it to me so thank you
1: that brings today's episode to an end thanks for choosing to stop by and listen If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers.